been a week of sports, that's for sure. And there's and there's more to come, clearly, because <laughs> uh, we've got the international break coming up, and there can only be drama, I'm sure, with the fact that we've had Norwich managers sacked after getting his first win, Villa managers sacked after losing five on the bounce. Uh, Rogers is now what two to one for United as well. God knows yeah. where that came from, but it's just people having a punt, I guess. But crazy. yeah, it's yeah. We're not far away, you know, from episode 150. This is episode 148, so welcome to anybody tuning in. Uh, I'm here with Adam and Craig, as always, boys. Uh, and, yeah, what a, I mean, the result is obviously an annoying one, and we'll definitely talk about it, but there's been a lot of drama over the weekend uh, with, with Daniel Farker sacked, with uh, Dean Smith sacked, with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer on the brink, uh, with Brendan Rodgers rumoured to be coming in, which would then mean Leicester are looking for a manager as well. Uh, not but, far off. We... Not far off. Big Sam coming back in. To be honest, <sighs> he's got I mean, to be sat by the phone, isn't he? Yeah. But it's Frankie, rubbing Frankie his Lampard, knees. Apparently, isn't it? Frankie Lampard is supposed to be a favourite for the Norwich job. Does he want that job? Yes. If you're him, surely you want to be. I'd, I'd have taken Lampard over Howe at Newcastle, and I think that's a more. Well, distinctly more appealing. The opposite ends of the spectrum in terms of financial input. Maybe he's not a big um, Saudi investment fund guy. Who knows? The thing is, is it's an odd one, ain't it? Because I, I feel like he almost thought that he was going to get a job sooner with a bigger side, and he ain't. And I wonder if he's starting to just think like, I'll, I'll, I'll get this one, like get that first relegation under my belt, <laughs> and go from there. Because I think he's just maybe came out to accept that he's not gonna he's not gonna get these these big jobs that he thinks he's gonna get he's there are about a hundred managers in the frame before anyone like if brendan rogers was to leave i can't imagine that frank lampard is in is even on their shortlist and and i think in his head he potentially thought he was and i think this is maybe him coming to that realization uh i wouldn't be surprised to see him though at some point i, I think the what you what you got out of him at Chelsea was interesting football, uh, different players coming in from a youth standpoint. You know, a lot of Chelsea fans that liked what they had under Lampard, but obviously results equate to everything. I think a name that I'd quite like to hear brought up a little bit more often is Scott Parker. He's he's actually been doing a really nice job. He continues to do a really nice job, and. A little bit surprised his name hasn't come up more often, but he's going to be back in the Premiership, you would assume, next year or based on current form, but we'll see. I think that's why. I think that's why you're not hearing him. Mm. Why would he want to go? Um, and I, and I, we're definitely going to get into this conversation because I want to have this at some point today. Uh, it's the same reason you're not seeing Mitrovic's name being thrown around much for January. Fulham up yeah. is definitely going to come back up. Would he would he do a good job at most teams that need a strike in the Premier League? Possibly. Is he going to be for sale? Absolutely not. I think he's just scored his twentieth goal or something ridiculous this season. Mitrovic uh, is the Neil Warnock of football players. He's fantastic in the Championship, and then he gets in the Prem and doesn't know what to do with himself. Yes, <laughs> twenty goals, twenty goals in seventeen appearances in the Championship so far. He's going to smash that record comfortably. Then then you start talking about. And we've spoken about it age like over and over again, just the chasm between the Premier League and the Championship, where Mitrovic done 
next to nothing last year. And, you know, that Fulham team, as exciting as it was, um, just didn't score enough goals and just defensively leaking as well. But, you know, it, Mitrovic has had his go in the Premier League and didn't, you know, pull up any pull up any trees. So, you know, what's what's changed? Um, is it the, the quality of the Premier League compared to the Championship? Or is it just that Mitrovic has got better? That's also a very plausible point. Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? I mean, at the same time, you could say that he's he's no he's no worse than Mope. Uh, in in 2017, he had 18 appearances, 12 goals. Uh, in uh, 2018, the year after, he had 37 appearances, 11 goals. Um, it's only really under Parker when he came up that he he went to pot and and we really wasn't very good. And even then, most of his appearances were subs. I think he was hurt, wasn't he? Because I'm seeing here he had 13 starts and three goals. Um, so maybe there's just more respect on that name than maybe we're giving him credit for. I think, you know, we, we've been linked to him for a few years, right? In terms of just, you know, someone that you would like to see come in, just one of those just born goal scorers. We don't um, need a striker. What are you talking about? <laughs> only 27 as well. Uh, so I feel like he's one of, like you said, I feel like he's been around forever. Uh, yeah, Adam said the same about Sterling as well. I think one of you guys said just around how young Sterling is and how, like, how long he's been around the game. Um, you kind of just you you kind of think these people are in their early thirties, like just you know, at the I guess the maturity stage of their career. But it turns out they're they're not even hitting their prime yet. Another one that literally just yesterday I saw it and my jaw dropped was I feel like I've heard his name thrown around for years now, and it's Reese James. And they were talking about this like youth factory of right backs at Chelsea: Reese James, Tarrant Lamptey, Livramento, and I was like. I was like, yeah, but like Reese James is getting on a bit now. Like he's 28, 29. Like, I, I mean, like that was years ago that he came through. 21 years old. Yeah. I mean, I, like, I, don't, what? I don't know what they've been feeding him, but I mean, at 21 years old. He's a big boy. Um, yeah. Let's, yeah. <laughs> let's get on to the game. Uh, one change um, from the Liverpool game. And that was, uh, who did we bring in? We brought well, Lamp- Lamptey started. Lamptey and brought off Jakob Moda. Uh, that was the change. And to me, uh, I, th- I think that that was mistake number one. Um, Newcastle United are a very different proposition to Liverpool. Uh, I understand that we got a 2-2 draw at Liverpool and it was a great performance um, with the false nine. And I understand keeping faith in it. But I think Potter is smarter than that. And I think he he, I don't know why he didn't adapt to the team that was played in front of him. Um, I, I don't know why Mopay was on the bench. I don't know why that lineup was the one that we selected. Um, and I thought that from the minute I saw it. What did you two think when you saw the team sheet? Confusion. Uh, I didn't understand where the players were going to go. <laughs> Just in terms of, we ended up with what? Lamptey was a right winger. Um, Trossard was playing in that force nine again. We had March as the left winger above Kukurea. And then we were sort of playing this this 4-2-3-1, weren't we, really, with, with Basuma and Lalana in their usual spot. And then Mwepu came in as the sort of central attacking midfielder. Um, and, and there was some fluidity to that formation too. <laughs> it was an interesting approach. It, sh- it shows the depth that we have from a wing-back standpoint, which is quite nice. 
Um, and also in, in another sense shows the complete lack of depth we have when it comes to wide forward attacking players. Um, and we'll get onto this in more detail, but I can't tell you how frustrating it is to watch this team fail to be able to break down a side that sits back. Um, and at some point, a big side is going to come in and play us and they're going to say, you know what? We're not going to get cute. We're not going to actually attack. We're just going to sit back against Brian. We know they're not going to do anything. Let's not give away a penalty. And then we'll just score 18 goals on the counter-attack against them. Um, that's, the, that's the Man City formula, isn't it, basically? I mean, in terms of just you know, the, the high press doesn't work, but the counter-attacking absolutely does. And yes, I think going going back to, the, I guess, the lineup in terms of what we're doing, I mean, hindsight says that it is confusing, but also... Last week, we would have been crying out, play Lamptey and Cucurella in the same team with Wepu and Basuma in the middle. Like, you can't go wrong. We need to go at this Newcastle side. Um, so, you know, last week, we were, you know, I personally was saying that in terms of let's let's go for it. Let's put in a really attacking lineup. Um, but it, it just, the first half, we'll, we'll get into the halves and stuff like that. It seemed like a good time to do that. And the first half definitely alluded to that. Um but I think Adam's completely right. You, you've got, it's testament that we've got Taylor Richards and Sarmiento on the bench in terms of attacking wide players as our only alternatives. So when when you start playing Lamptey up in that side, um, Feltman is a very deputable right back in terms of what he's doing. And I'm completely fine with that. Um, but it, it, yeah, when you're playing March and Lamptey in those sort of wide attacking areas um, and when it doesn't work, when people sit back, the options are very limited. So um before the game, I, I watched it this morning because I missed it yesterday. But when I saw the lineup yesterday, I thought, good, we're going at them. But I'm not entirely sure how. Um, but that is a very attacking lineup. Um, and the first 45 was pretty good. But, you know, we, we saw where it ended up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the first 45 minutes wasn't bad at all. Uh, 66% possession, 90% pass accuracy rate, which is outrageously high. Uh, and I think that summarizes that playing in front of an entire 11 <laughs> players uh, perfectly. Um, and we, we hammered them. Uh, penalty for you guys. Uh, the the NBC studio were absolutely infu- infuriated at the penalty being given, um, which is ironic um, given that the exact same two people that were in that studio Saturday were the same two in it a couple of weeks ago. And called Neil Mope naive for not going down sooner on the Norwich contact uh, and were absolutely lambasting Trossard yesterday for going down due to the contact from Clark. Um, you can't win when you're, when, when you're a player like that. Um, and for me, it was a penalty all day. Uh, did he go down slightly after the contact as opposed to right away? Yes. Was it the right decision? Yes. Was it a pen anyway? Yeah. I, I think that... It was a foul regardless. Um, and that shows a bit of savvy that sometimes Albion don't have. Um, I feel like Mope and, and, and Trossard especially both have that uh, that kind of... Some would say like the cheat stuff, but I don't think it is. It's just playing playing to the rules that the Premier League has created of their own volition. Um, penalty for you two? Yeah, I mean, it was in terms of... You, you... There's, there's contact on the shin. There's a small tug of the shirt as well. And Trossard has tried to stay up. Ultimately, he hasn't seen it worth staying up. So, you know, um, like you said, it's the rules of the game now. You know, we we a lot of those goes against us. Um, 
we have this uh, stereotype of a very nice team that plays nice football and is very nice to their opponents. Um, so, you know, the, the rules are rules. Um, you can't grab someone's shirt and, and get in the way of them in the penalty area or anywhere in the pitch. If that was anywhere in the pitch, it would have been a foul. So why not in the penalty area? Yeah, don't don't try and kick out and catch the shin of a player like Trossard in the penalty box. Uh, he it was a, it was a penalty for me, and it wasn't in doubt once you saw the replay. In real time, it was a little bit more questionable, wasn't it? Because he, because of that little moment that he took to then go down, I think he probably the the ball came out a little bit further than he'd have liked. He knew he was going to lose possession, so the argument there is to say that well, well, he knew he was losing it, so he had to go down, but. Like you say, you just don't take those chances as a defender in the box. I think you would feel we would feel so aggrieved if we did not get a penalty awarded in that situation. I'm, I'm gonna. I do want to talk though about what you mentioned, how we came out in the first half, how aggressive we were, and the, the play that we put together. And I agree, statistically, and even to the eye test, for so the first 35 minutes, we were dominant. They didn't have a chance. Newcastle they had one counter I think really but let's face it the whole game they had one shot on target even the fact they came out of their shell in the second half but how many times have we seen this from Brighton where we're all over someone we have all the great we have this ticky tack of part 90 million percent passing accuracy there's no one puts the ball in the in the goal uh, apart from the fact that we had a penalty that again some may argue was not a penalty there was a on 26 minutes there was an amazing cross from Veltman that went through everyone. It reminded me of Shades of Gascoigne. It was at 96 uh, when he far, far post, you have a leg swung out. We had three players that could have scored there. And it uh, for me, that moment summed up our team. You can do whatever you want. You can put the ball wherever you want. No one can actually put the ball in the net from open play. It's infuriating. I, I remember him taking the, like, especially that chance was just, was a great signal in terms of what we were doing and like even more poetic that Lamptey took it away from Trossard on that chance as well where you know if Lamptey didn't touch it then Trossard probably would have put that away so it's just so typical uh, of of this team at the moment you start talking about the first four or five games of the season like oh we're we're a new team like it's going really well we're taking our chances and it seems like we're just back to last year Um, but I, I think we'll go more into that in the second half too. Yeah, that, you you actually took it right out of my mouth. That's exactly where I was going to go next. We we got we got that goal ahead, and uh, in typical Albion fashion, we were presented with insane chances to go ahead and to make it two before half time. And that one was the big one. Uh, when you look at your xG and your stats and your shots on target, you know fourteen shots, five on target. None of them include that, and that was arguably the best chance of the entire game. Um, and that's not including all of the other stats that we're looking at that say that we were dominant. Um, you know, we, we absolutely destroyed them on XG and it's not including what should have been a tap in uh, for, for multiple players in the box. And as you said, they, they, they didn't particularly threaten. Like you said, I think, I think Wilson had one shot in the first half. Uh, and even then it wasn't particularly a problem. Um, does Mope score if he's on the pitch with that cross? Yeah, I think he does. Does Connolly? Probably not. But yeah, it, <laughs> you feel like Mope scores there, right? Which is, it's easy in the hindsight, but then you just go back to the fact that when you when you put out an 11 that doesn't have a ruthless finisher in it, you can create these chances 
And then we stand around afterwards and go, I can't believe no one put it in the net. It's because we had 14 wingbacks on the pitch. And it's not a Brighton thing, right? Because you hear those conversations happen every three weeks at the Etihad mm-hmm. with the formation that Pep is playing. There, there's a couple of times where someone will square it across, Foden will put it across, and you're like, if that's Aguero and not Bernardo Silva, that's him. Mm-hmm. Because he's not got the number nine instinct. And like that's all well and good when you have the depth of Manchester City. But when you have you know, Mope on the bench against Newcastle, who he scored three in two games last year, by the way, isn't playing. I don't get it. I don't understand at all. And and the second half was just a disaster from, I think, about 48 minutes. Appalling. The first two minutes of the half were superb. Uh, and everything after that, just, it was, it was almost as if, I think We Are Brighton, the Twitter group, said that it doesn't look like Brighton have got out of first gear here. We go into second. We're going to we're gonna be a real problem. Um, I think it was almost as if we stalled <laughs> instead of going into second gear. <laughs> we just we just took everything off of the accelerator, the clutch, everything. Um, and they deservedly got an equaliser and, and, and could have won it um, if it wasn't for Big Bob. But... <laughs> What what do you two think went wrong? Because I, I I have an opinion on where the catalyst for everything that went wrong was in the second half, but I would love to hear your two's first because I feel like I've given my opinion first a bunch of times. So <laughs> you two first. Uh, probably Mwepu coming off at half time. Um, in terms of we talked about his dynamism and stuff like that and what he brings. You know, he was up up there with Trossard in, in sort of a two press in what he was doing up at the top. Um Bringing McAllister on, I mean, I'm perfectly happy with that, but just doesn't have the energy that maybe Mwepu did. Um, it just just feels like we just shut ourselves in the second half in terms of just playing ourselves into trouble and just taking risks and stuff that you just don't need to take. Um, you know, I, I appreciate we, we have a brand and we want to play that sort of football, um, but we did nothing in that second half. Um, I just... It was so stereotypical in having one half that was really good running the show and not taking that next step to finish them off. Um, and we saw it over and over again last last year. Um, and we're starting to see it again now. Um, you know, we're, soon you'll see those XG meme comments come out in the next couple of weeks as well because I, I don't know where it stops. There's... Towards the end of the first half, even right, there was Newcastle started coming out a little bit more. But let's face it: for the first thirty-five minutes, Newcastle were ten men behind the ball with Wilson sat up top. They were in a bank of five and bank of four. Brutal to try and break that down. Um, but we started seeing hints of a cataclysmic sort of, in some ways, a mental breakdown. Concentration. A lot of mistakes started coming in at the end of the first half. Sanchez. Uh, couldn't have, I guess, alluded more to his later game situation than what he did at the end of the first half. couple of horrible clearances, uh, horrible playing out of the back, the standard stuff that we keep seeing every week now. And I think that we talked about this in depth last week. It's becoming a problem. Uh, he's, he's not learning from some of these mistakes that we keep seeing in terms of distribution and getting too cute playing out of the back. That's a concern for me. Um, what what surprised me is that we then did come out in the first few minutes of the first half, there were a couple of interesting chances for us. There was a really, really good ball that came out from Lalana just just after we kicked off and Trossard had a shot and then, then Cucurella had a 
terrible header. Um, there's a couple of chances in the game where Lallana had a decent attempt at a shot and he clearly has forgotten how to shoot in the last few years as well. And for me, this is this is what it comes down to in this team. And I know that there's, even in the chat, we've got Mikey saying we need a striker. Twitter is all about we need this. We have to bring in someone who can finish. I do get that. For me, though, the style of play that we have, I want players that are in the midfield that can shoot and players that push up that are comfortable shooting. Cucurella had two chances and he shanked them and then was afraid to shoot for the rest of the game. Started playing, started passing his way out of good shooting opportunities. Lamptey's not particularly clinical. Mwepu scored an amazing goal last week, but he's not shown a massive amount of proof that he'll have a nice shot at any point. I just don't, and Lalana we talked about, I just don't know who's scoring the goals for us. If it's not a forward, if it's not Trossard that swings one in, every other goal that we get seems just sort of like luck in some ways. I'm not confident if any one of our players takes a shot except for Trossard and Mope when he's on the pitch. Inside the 18-yard box. Correct. <laughs> uh, I agree with you. I, Craig, I thought the same thing. I thought that there was definitely signs, Adam, of, of us dropping off in that second half, uh, first half. And I thought I thought it might be just because we were close to the end of that first half and we'd kind of just decided to take our foot off and get into halftime. Um, and the way we started in that second half made me think that that was right. But I think Mwepu coming off and Maka coming on was the big one. Alexis um, was poor. Very poor, almost anonymous. Um, and we'll get on to the players in particular as well, because there was another player I found to be essentially invisible all day. And and he's a player at rate, but he was absolutely shocking yesterday as well. But I, I thought Mepu coming off, there wasn't anyone else willing or able to do his job. Um, and we tried to persist with the same formation we had with a play, with like a, a square, square peg round hole stuff. Um, and... It, it showed from then on because we had no way of getting out. And when we did, as you said, the players weren't good enough to to to, to create a chance from it. For me, I, I would like to see a striker signed. Um, and my, my thing isn't so much that people are like, we need a 20-goal-a-season striker. Well, great. So does every single team in the world. Like, they don't come for free. Um, you know what like three players last season scored more than 20 goals like it's ridiculous like i don't know where that idea comes from um what we need is an alternative presence in my opinion and we haven't had one since glenn left and he wasn't up to it to play in potter style anyway simply due to the the way it was and he didn't think he was capable of doing it potter has played taller men up front in the past in his old clubs, we've seen it plenty of times. So it's not like he is one of those people who isn't willing to do it. Um, he's done it with great success everywhere. I, I don't know why we haven't. I, money, wages, I'm not sure. But I tell, I'm honest to God, yesterday, regardless of that drop-off in that first half, I think if we had any of these – I've got a list of them. If we had any of these strikers, <laughs> any of these strikers, we win by three yesterday. Antonio, Tony, Jimenez, Ings, Wood, Wilson, Watkins, Eduard, and Dominic Calvert-Lewin. I know we can't buy them. I'm not saying let's go get one of them because obviously most of them are not for sale or too expensive at this point. But all I'm trying to really say is that list is an attainable standard of striker. 
It's not, I want Lukaku or Haaland. I want someone who provides a different option because if Cuckoo and Lamptey are popping in balls higher, like they're bringing in those aerial balls and we're actually making Kraft and Clark work because they're shit. They're not good centre-halves. There's going to be a lot of second balls that fall in the box. And that is where Mope is most deadly. So I'm not, I'm not saying let's get rid of Neil either. I think, I think that the way we play, it's the, it's the one dimension we don't have. And it makes us so easy to defend against. Yeah. Um, I like that. And people are saying, people are agreeing with you in the chat as well. Uh, and Lamptey, I felt, <laughs> I didn't feel sorry for him, but Richie, at left back yesterday was getting absolutely every time Lamptey got the ball, he was terrified, terrified. Um, and we know what Cuckoo is capable of. And, and, and Mikey said this too. And, and, and what Enoch on the door is a great name, by the it way. Is. Well done. you. <laughs> uh, the, the amount of crosses that come into the box that aren't bad crosses. And there's just not a, there's not a presence, as you say, in there that is capable of taking advantage of that that we've seen so far. Um, I still think in terms of how Potter plays the game, and again, we'll, we'll use comparisons of shades of Guardiola because I know we couldn't be you know, more different in terms of financial backing, but tactically, we're not a million miles away. Um there is such an importance on having your player up top be able to drop back into the midfield because your wing backs are pushed so far up on the sides. You need to then be able to create more presence in the middle, a little bit deeper. And that's why we don't have this target man situation up front. And we feel a little bit more comfortable with having a force nine where Trossard comes deeper, gets the ball, the wing backs push up, we spread play out, cross the ball in, no one does anything with it. The difference between us and them, and it's easy to say this, is that every single one of their midfield players, given half a chance, will swing the ball and smash it in the back of the net. Every single one of their players, Bernardo Silva, Foden, they're all comfortable shooting. I'm not comfortable with a single player in this team outside of Trossard to have a solid, consistent attempt of a shot when he gets half an opening. There's this just not there. And that's the difference for me. It's like... Potter's style of play needs that because we're not so reliant on the striker. So if we bring in a striker, that's all well and good. We have to change. We have to create more opportunities for them and let them push up. And that creates a massive tactical change. Yeah. And I think that's where exactly I was going with that in terms of, you know, you, you can play that style as much as you want, but you know, if you're playing one striker, you need goals to come from elsewhere. And you're absolutely right. You know, we, we fail, especially at the long shots or, being able to create opportunities from afar or to finish them off. Um, the Lalana chance in the second half um, in terms of just putting it wide, like again, no shooting boots in that midfield means that if you're going to play a false nine, or if you're going to play one single striker up top, they have to come from somewhere. Um, going back to Enoch on the door again, smashing name, but it, in terms of why put those crosses in if no one's there um, or if you're putting in it way too high, like development cross in the first half is perfect. Like, I think it just got applauded left, right and rhubarb in terms of how good it was and, and the way that we can attack that. But if you're putting it in at seven, eight feet high and being able to do that, no one's going to get there because Trossard is what, five, seven, five, eight, not a notorious header of the ball. Um, so where are the goals coming from? And and back to Josh's point too, if 
we need a different style. And I think, you know, in terms of if you swap Trossard for Mope, does anything really change yesterday in terms of the rest of the game, in terms of the entire 90? Because I think he would finish off the Veltman chance, um, but would he have the trickery to win the penalty like Trossard did? You know, there's there's ebbs and flows to what we do. Yeah. There needs to be a change in style if the striker changes. I think that's that's where we're going with this conversation in terms of you can't just one-for-one one replace Trossard with an Antonio or a Tony. Uh, the style needs to change too. Lamptey can't be that high up on the right. And also we we don't have the false nine dropping in. So the, the wingbacks have to come back now if we have a change in striker. So it's, it seems so... Well, it's a bit of a catch-22, isn't it, really? Right. In some ways? And, it's, and it's so dependent on that one position. And it feels strange to talk about it in that way. I think there is a solution to it, though. Uh, you drop muscle, you drop Trossard a little bit deeper again, like he has been, like he was for a while. Put him out on that left for the invisible Solly March and have a striker play up front. Yep. I, I mean, it's worked before. That's what they, that's what he did a lot uh, early on. Um, and this may sound like a stupid question, but like because they're a Premier League elite football team. But I'm going to ask it. Our coaching staff, Graham Potter. Uh, wasn't exactly, you know, the greatest player in the world. Didn't pull up trees. Mostly played at left back um, for pretty much his entire career. Uh, Billy Reed um, again didn't pull up trees particularly in his in his playing career, um, but has obviously found massive success uh, with with Potter and did well at Hamilton, which I didn't know about very well. Uh, but he was a central defender and central defensive midfielder. Uh, Bjorn Hamburg. Uh, no experience playing football. He is uh, just a coach, full-on first-team coach. And Bruno, of course, um, as as whatever kind of level of coach he is, uh, very much within the first-team squad. And then Ben Roberts as a goalkeeping squad. Uh, who's coaching them to shoot? Because none of those are in any way, shape or form uh, strikers or finishers or have any experience putting the ball in the back of the net. So I asked genuinely, who's our shooting coach? Which one of those is our shooting coach? Do we have a specialist one? Do we have like a specialist striker coach? Because we don't know about it if we do. And that's one of those things where it's like, okay, uh, do you know what I mean? Like, I, I, it's probably a weird question to ask, but we don't we don't have anyone on that coaching staff that has any experience in front of goal in their playing career. And I'm not saying you have to, but it seems like one of those things that should at least be looked at or talked about. Maybe I'm not, I don't buy massively into the idea that, Oh, you need to have X experience to be able to then train. Y. I mean, Mourinho was a bit of a shite player and has won everything that there is. And regardless of what your thoughts on him are now, and he's more of a meme than a manager at this point. (laughs) Uh, So, but maybe we just don't, Outside of the coaching, we've got quite a number of young players and quite a lot of players that have never demonstrated an ability to, to shoot. It's not like we've brought in... The only exception to this is a player that's currently out injured, which is Danny Welbeck. You don't need to train Danny Welbeck how to shoot. Uh, we've seen that he's capable when given an opportunity. He knows where the goal is. He, can, he, he has that ability. And I do think we miss him at the moment. I really do. Uh, but he, again, is not at the echelon, the quite the level where our aspirations lie even now. So maybe he's not the answer either. Um, I, I, I do want to call out in the chat again, we'll, we'll call out Enoch again, uh, is 
coming up with this, this, this idea of a difference between a cross and a cutback and that some of these need to be more cutback focused because of the stature and the and, and how the team is laid out. I completely agree. Some of these floaty crosses that come in the box and some of this will be learning, right? Lamptey's only just recently back from injury. Kukureya is newer to the club. Um, Hatafe, different setup in terms of how they would he would necessarily put the ball in the box. A lot more grounded cutback balls that maybe come back to the edge of the to the eighteen would be useful in this in this setup. Easy with hindsight, but for me, it's not about shooting training. I just don't think we have the pe- we just don't have the personnel. I agree with you on that point too. Mm. Yeah, the red card. Uh, Red card all day. I don't think there's too much discussion about that. Clearly impeded him from scoring. Uh, it's a shame because if it was Josh Sargent, he'd probably not have bothered. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, a really good play by Sanchez. It, smart play. It was. It was. And and I know people are absolutely all over him on his back for this, but they, I think that was the best thing he could have done. There's nothing he could have done that was better than what he did. Perfectly fine. And I I don't think it was his fault that that scenario happened either. It was just one of those things. We were caught high up and the ball was in behind. And I think he reacted as well as he could. Yeah. I mean, you can defend it, right? In terms of what what he's done there and taking one for the team. Um, A lot of of internet, I guess... there's a lot of personalities on Twitter, of course, but in, in terms of bringing out the whole word of cheating and how would you defend that and how how is that allowed? Why are you happy with that? Um, he's rightfully been punished with the, the laws of the game um, and he's taken one for the team. It's no less than a cynical yellow foul. Uh, uh, so in, in terms of what he's done there and in terms of that the person on the end of that, in terms of Callum Wilson as well, um, absolutely right within his rights to do that. And I, I think it's fine. I, I think it's more talking around his performance today in general, um, around some very erratic passes and some very odd choices um, that he's been making. Um, and I think we've spoken about it a few times now. Um, it might be good for him to have a game off uh, and try and, <laughs> I guess, get himself together in terms of what we're doing. Because I feel every time we talk, um, we talk about a Sanchez error, or we talk about maybe a complacency or maybe an overconfidence in terms of his approach. Um, I understand with a sweeper keeper, you take those risks, but it feels a little bit too much at the start of this season compared to last. Yeah, just just get rid of the ball. I guess just get rid of the ball when you don't have a, an easy, simple pass on. And the flip side to his game is what he did about the 55th minute where uh, he smacked a ball up to Kukureya, uh passed to Trossard, and that was what, that's what set up that Lalana chance. So you, you go from the sublime to the, the ridiculous with him and that he has this amazing sort of level of distribution in his pocket. And then sometimes you just just makes these boneheaded plays that you just think, what are you doing? And I, I was yeah. thinking that as well. Like I was obviously watching it this morning and like, I'm there just like, what are you doing there? What are you doing there? And I go, Oh, fantastic pass. And, it, and yeah. it's like, it's like, okay, well there's obviously he's consistent in his shot stopping abilities, but I feel like his distribution has been, and I think the commentary said erratic. I think it's the right word for it because he does pull out stellar passes most of the time, but I just think he's, he has an error in him now. I, I, I don't know where that has, and I think it's probably the overconfidence or in terms of how he's being told to play as well. There's also an element of that. Um, 
but it, it, in terms of being able to cut those out um, because his shot stopping is second to none and you know his I guess his decision making and his distribution was just a little bit off yesterday. And I think we've spoke about this before, haven't we? I, th- I think it comes with the the type of goalkeeper we're obviously wanting him to be. Um, Edison um, is is one of those players. We, we're wanting him to become an Edison, Allison, Neuer style sweeper keeper that's incredibly comfortable with the ball at his feet. Well, what about ten minutes ago? Yeah, I was just going to say uh, this. Allison has just scored an absolute howler of an own goal. Um, he came to claim across something that we just criticised Sanchez for last week badly, and and he wasn't great this week either uh, with one of those claims. Luckily, it was pretty pretty much a foul, but we were lucky because uh, it, it wasn't a great take. Um, and, and Allison has just gone ahead and done the exact same thing and put the ball in the back of its own net. I, um, I, I'm just looking at it, and it's awful. I think. And, and <laughs> I I think that's one of those things that you have to just except is what's happening. The problem is, is Allison and Edison do that three times a season. He's doing that one every three games a minute. And I think a lot of that is age and lack of experience. This is only his, this isn't even his first full, this is his first full season as a number one goalkeeper in the Premier League, remember. You know, he's not, he only played since, what, January fully. Um because he got a couple, didn't he, at Spurs, where there was all that weird stuff going on with him and Brian and Mope and all that stuff. But I think we've just got to hope that he can he can keep adapting to it. And that that incident at the end of the game may be one of those things that he desperately needed was a game off um, to to sort his head out with what's going on. And he's got a lot of time off to think about it because he's got an international break as well. You can sit back and watch how it's really done with Steel playing. <laughs> That was my next question. Would you want steel? <laughs> no, because uh, Sherpin just played for the under twenty threes. I just looked at it before we kicked off this co- this conversation. Sherpin is back from injury, and he played the last under twenty three game uh, just a couple of days ago, which is probably why he wasn't on the bench yesterday uh, because he just played. Um, and for me, I'd be starting him all day long. I've seen enough of steel to know that I don't like what I see in in Carabao Cup games against Harrogate. Like, I don't want to see him line up against any Premier League team ever. Pretty much. Yeah, give Sherpin... We paid some money for Sherpin, right? Uh, so, let's see what he's got. It's... Do I do I want Sherpin in goal? Yes. Do I think it's going to happen? Absolutely not. And he's played a lot, too. To say that he's young, like, he played a full season in the Eredivisie. Like two years ago, it's not like he doesn't have first team experience in a decent league. Like he's, and the thing is, in the area division, defenses are shocking. So he's being peppered with shots in the Dutch league. He's a big boy as well, isn't he? Six, six eight. Seven, yeah. Six eight, is he? Whew. Yeah, he gained an inch. Uh, yeah, he's, <laughs> <laughs> he's uh, clearly Potter and Co. have a, have a thing for, for tall keepers. And if you are, slightly vertically challenged they are not a big fan of you um yeah well we'll we'll see what they do they've got a couple of weeks to decide i suppose um i do want to go back to the game because i i want want to talk about the subs and what you thought of them because they were sort of potter's normally quite good with the subs i sort of felt i thought they were pretty awful (laughs) yesterday uh we talked about alexis really came in and 
he's I'm so confused as to what footballer Alexis McAllister is. And hopefully my Amazon device doesn't start going crazy like it did when I last said his first name. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll just call him Maka. <laughs> Mope was, as we've seen a lot of the time, relatively anonymous. Again, at that point in the game, we were not creating anything. I think he touched the ball about nine times with his back to goal and never got a sniff of anything. Uh, and then we took Lamptey off and Webster came in and we pushed Veltman out and moved things around a little bit. Webster, I I, I want to see Webster start again soon uh, because you saw how pushed up he started to get in certain instances. And I go back to the fact that I think Webster is actually one of our biggest attacking threats, weirdly, when we have possession of the ball. I love those runs he goes on. We get the extra man upfield. He knows how to pick a pass out and he, and he works relatively well with, with whomever's playing wing back. So that was fine, but I think that was more of a case of Lamptey was tired, right? And we had to bring someone on. I really, I really, I think it's maybe a, a, maybe a year or so too soon, but I would have loved to have seen him take a risk and bring Sarmiento on because, or, or even Pascal Gross. We needed someone to be able to make a bit of a difference. We know Pascal's not scared to have a shot. Sarmiento's, what we talked about last week, one of the few players in addition to Trossard where you think he can play in the slightly more centrally and actually take someone on, which is a weird concept for this team, um, as opposed to just passing it backwards and around, putting out to a winger to then slam it across that no one gets on the end of. So I was a bit upset about that. What did you guys think? I, I'm looking at the bench, and I, I didn't look at it in full yesterday because I, I just saw Taylor Richards was on there, and I saw that Steele was the goalkeeper. I wasn't sure who was. Uh, but I looked at it in terms of midfielders yesterday that I would have, you know, and Maka came on. And I'm really not kidding because I, I wouldn't have been upset if McAllister had started yesterday. But when he came on as a sub from Mwepu and knowing how Mwepu had played in that first half, I would have taken any of the alternatives over him in that role. I would have taken Sarmiento, Gross, or Jakob Moda, as opposed to McAllister in that role. He is exactly what we didn't need as a substitute when we knew how that game was going to go. Um, and, and that was the biggest thing for me. And, and Neil Mope is not a substitute. He is not in any way, shape, or form a player that is an impact sub. He either starts or doesn't play for me. He, I agree he with is, you. He's very good at what he does when he gets a full 90 minutes, but he just isn't capable. It's just not his game to just come on and make a splash. He's not that player at all. And unless you're, unless you're putting four or five players up front and you're desperate in a cup final, something like that, and you stick Mope on like with three others, with three other attackers in extra time, I don't mind it, but that's, he's not, that's not his job. And, yeah. and to me, I would have rather have seen Sarmiento come on. Than, than Neil Mope because that's an impact sub. I would have that's taken Lacardia. Do you know how weird that is to say that? <laughs> yeah, I probably would have too because we've already seen that he he is an impact sub. Lacardia is, is actually capable of doing something just a little bit different. He's and, actually and, one player that can shoot from outside the box, by the way, as well. He, yep. He's not scared of actually having a shot. Um, is, it, is it just around... And I think you touched on it, Adam, in terms of just confidence. Is, is it just the players just lack the... I guess the the mentality to shoot because they they know that if they 
do get it wrong that the crowd's going to get on their back because I, I do want to mention the crowd in a little bit because it's been all over the place on Twitter and all the all that jazz. But in, in terms of that, and you're also talking about Pascal Gross as well. Uh, he he seems to be the Jekyll and Hyde of every conversation in terms of, you know, oh, why is he on? He's too slow. But then when he's not playing, it's like, oh, we should have played Gross. Like, what are you thinking? Um, and then you're talking about Jakob Moda going from a starter to an unused sub and bringing on McAllister instead. Um, now, a very left-field option would have been Moda on for Mwepu instead. Um, a larger presence, maybe a little bit more strength than the McAllister has, who's very technical and tries to play through banks of four uh, in this instance so trying to break a team down and having motor on one of those wings or having him as an advanced forward would have been great i think but that's just me um but again hindsight's a wonderful thing right you you can say you know you, you go back to the burnley game and you go back to the earlier games in this season where McAllister's come on and he's made an immediate impact and he's gone and scored the goal um so you know ebbs and flows fine margins of this wonderful game um but seeing moda go from a, a starter to an unused sub not using sarmiento or taylor richards um to try and change the game or have an impact and bring something slightly different um again i think you're right perfectly justified thing in terms of the, the subs weren't good enough i mean lacardia doesn't suffer for confidence does he but if you can put out music like that and keep keep putting music out <laughs> like that Taking you, a shot from the taking yeah. a shot from twenty yards out is nothing. I mean, when, if you've when got the balls to throw that on Spotify, when your ego is boosted by that many Instagram likes, uh, I would <laughs> I would be shooting from halfway. It's a it's a confounding one how things worked out yesterday, and and it, even outside of the subs in the second half, there was what we did yesterday that was different is we did actually came out come out of the blocks in the first half which is something that we've talked about ad nauseum at this point we fail to start quickly we come out sluggish for the first 10 minutes and we basically do a decent job we don't concede and then suddenly we get into the game so opposite way around today uh, yesterday where we started out nice great 35 40 minutes and then second half pressing war down started to just every it felt like a, every pass that happened ended up being misplaced started becoming second to a lot of the balls that would drop in. And it was, it was frustrating because it, it felt like the energy and the motivation fell off. And even if we had maybe have brought on any of these other subs, it might not have made much of a difference just because it didn't feel like we had the impetus or the onus to actually go out and get a goal. Funnily enough, until the last two, three minutes of the game, when we had Lewis Dunk in goal with an ill-fitting top and gloves on, and we actually decided, oh, you know what? Let's boot the ball up and actually hold some possession and create some chances. We played the, our best part of the second half with the first five minutes of the second half and the last three minutes when we had Lewis Duncan goal and 10 men. Yep. There's no, there's no reason why we shouldn't have scored a goal from open play at any point in that game. There's, there's absolutely no excuse for it. Yeah, damning. Uh, and depending on whether you're an optimist or a pessimist, you, you say that, you can look at it and say that we've, with the last few games, we've gone you know, only one loss in what five or six games, and the other part of you looks at it and goes, "We haven't won either. We haven't, <laughs> we haven't won, and we can't score." Uh, yeah, and I think that's exactly what you were you were saying earlier, Craig. This is this is we're slowly reverting back to exactly what the problem was last season. We did not sign anyone else uh, with an offensive presence doesn't matter whether it's midfield or going forward or whatever 
uh, we we didn't sign one of those players that we were hoping to get. The one player we did that half falls into that category has made a great impact in the last two games since he's actually been fit. Um, and then when he went off, we looked rather toothless without him. Uh, coincidence? Maybe, maybe not. Um, we are now very much in the bottom six of the form table. Uh, not great. Um, and in terms of players yesterday, what I'll start, Solly March was an absolute waste of a spot in the 11th. And I like Solly March. But when you said you didn't know where people were playing, Adam, I looked at his heat map earlier. When you said it, I had my head down. I was looking because I was actually interested because I thought, eye test wise, I thought he was utterly anonymous. And I went and looked at his heat map. And his spots are just about everywhere. His average position is in the center of the midfield when it looked like he was supposed to be a left winger. Uh, His heat map is on the right, he's on the left, he's forward, he's at the back. He doesn't seem to have an actual position. Um, And and it showed he had the least touches of any player out there uh, that started the game. Everybody else had more touches than he did. Um, And he was subbed off in the 65th minute. I thought he was totally anonymous. Alexis McAllister had almost as many touches as he did, and he played half. But I, to me, there's there's your solution if you wanted to. If you're wondering how you fit players into a squad, you hindsight twenty twenty, of course. And I don't know what Potter envisioned him doing, but he didn't do it. So to me, you swap him out. You put Trossard where he was doing whatever he was doing, that playing in space, I guess, and which Trossard is excellent at, and put Mopay up top. That's that's a done deal for me. I, th- I thought that I thought Solly was totally anonymous, um, and uh, Sanchez distribution was dodgy as well. Uh, and and there were a lot of times yesterday I forgot Adam Lallana was on the pitch as well, uh, except when he was missing very good opportunities. Uh, I'm disagreeing with you on that one a little bit. I actually thought Lallana was arguably a best player. Um, really? Which is yeah. Which I don't think is saying much. I don't th- if there's a man of the match <laughs> award, I don't think anyone deserves it. <laughs> I don't know who they gave the sort of um, the classic at home man of the match award that's biased to Spon- the sponsored one. Yeah, whoever, yeah whoever they want to meet oh, basically. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but uh, no one really deserved. I-, I thought it was a pretty sad game from Basuma. I know statistically he broke up some play, but there wasn't really a. He didn't create that differential like he normally does. Where he gets on the ball a few times and drives it forward, and you're like, all right, yeah, here we go. Here's here's that Cadillac midfielder that we have. But you you could you could make an argument to say that Lamptey's first half performance was 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 excellent. Kukureya again showed some qualities, but overall it was just a. I was I thought it was Veltman's worst game for a while too. Uh, he was typically a decent performer, not very good. I just when you look at and, and Craig, I don't want to take your answer away from you. I just when you look at the start of the game and you, your front four players. Are Trossar, March, Mwepu, and Lamptey. And then we sit after the game and scratch your heads and go, How did we not score? Well, that's why. <laughs> that's why. Because then you don't really have a proper goal scorer there, realistically. You've got an attacking midfielder, uh, two wing backs, and a central midfielder, a box to box player. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's marched. Yeah, March was nowhere to be seen. Um, you can say the same for McAllister as soon as he came on. You know, he did have 45 minutes. That's half a game to to make your impact. And he did 
very little. Um, yeah, I, apart from you know, one decent cross from Veltman, it was fairly anonymous from him too. Um, it was just one of those games. I just don't think anyone was really at the pace or doing anything. Um, I mean, just F, like points for trying in terms of Trossard, just doing something that he's not particularly you know, been asked to do before and trying to create chances in that role. Um, I thought he put himself about a bit. I'm, I'm a massive fan of Trossard anyway, so I mean, there's slight bias there. But I, I think in terms of the leaps and bounds he's come on from last year, I like the fact that he's putting himself about. He's he's putting his body on the line and he's trying to make something happen in evidently a format or a formation that we all agree doesn't work for teams like Newcastle or, or for, for strategies put against us in terms of the four you know the two banks are four um so yeah you can you can put names forward in terms of anonymity or just lackluster it's probably another word but uh it a strange one not the best day at the office uh, but I, trossard the nice thing that we have seen though is that with mope in the team trossard basically has to play in what i would now consider somewhat out of position because we then forced him out on the left or right wing. It's very clear to, to anyone watching that Trossard is actually really good in this false nine position. Uh, his hold-up play has improved dramatically. Uh, he is very capable of, uh, of, of fainting really nicely and then cutting round a player, something that, that Neil doesn't give you. Neil will play with his back towards goal. He'll pass on and then make a run forward. And we're still not really excelled at, capitalizing on that too well so again that comes back to the discussion about how do we, how do we create how do we get a striker into this team well you put a striker in the team you're then going to play trossard in a position that he's slightly left comfortable in as well uh for me trossard was my man of the match as well but again as adam said that it really isn't saying much um slim pickings uh, yeah it was uh, but i think he was our best player on the pitch um for me uh, i thought he he as you said, I think he excels in this role. Um, and I think he's doing everything right. I think he's doing everything he's asked to do. Um, he's causing all sorts of problems. And his his relationship he has struck up with Kukurea this early and this quick is outrageous. Um, I know that helps given that he's probably playing out on the left, training out on the left more often than anybody else. But their their relationship is filthy. Uh, and we're only four, like, you know, six games in. Um, I've been incredibly impressed with the with the synergy they've got already, um, and I, I want to bring up what Mikey actually said in the chat, and I think it's really a really good point. He said, "I often think about what's going through their minds at the time. Solly has been replaced and for, forced out of position by Kukurea, and now he has to play elsewhere. So I won't be surprised if his mind isn't in the best place." I said this on the pod before you two joined. I feel that Solly is one of the biggest sufferers of crowd involvement in the team. If the crowd are in any way on his back or not happy with the team, I feel, and I've felt this since like the Withdeen days when he was like a literal boy coming on as a <laughs> son. He, he is one of the biggest players that gets affected by the crowd. And I think we saw his best ever season because he was behind closed doors. And that was what I said last year. And I think yesterday was a great example of that. And Craig, you alluded to it. The people on Twitter and social media that went to the game were all very, very vocal yesterday 
about how quiet and uninspiring the crowd were yesterday. It's been like that all season. Yep. You would think it would be amazing because we've just had a whole year and a half of not being allowed to go, but it's not been. It's been really crap. And when you've got that happening and the majority of the things is all you can hear is Newcastle fans booing Bissouma, if there is a player that's going to be hurt by that emotionally and mentally, for me, it was Solly March. And maybe looking at what Mikey has said, I'm feeling a little bit bad for slating Solly as bad as I have. Because (laughs) now I'm looking at it and thinking that's possibly a good reason as to why, if, if that's, if that's the way it is. Um, but at the same time, he's he's also 27 years old if your mental strength isn't there at that point. As a, um, as a Premier League footballer. And uh, yeah, I, th- the, the, I guess there is that mental side of the game. I think Mikey's alluded to it before in one of his other comments in terms of just the mental strength in terms of some of these players um, and, and what they're doing. Um, you know, confidence is an issue, it, it seems, you know, we're we're winless in six games. We're out of the out of the cup. Not that means anything to us, but for them, you know, that is a loss, and you're out of the cup. Um, you know, it's it's hard to, I guess, bounce back when there's nothing to bounce back from. Um, so something needs to happen. Um, we need to get that confidence back somewhere. I know it's um, there's a there's a level of. I don't know if it's irony, but uh, people won't want to hear three idiots in America <laughs> talk about how the atmosphere wasn't great at the Amex. But um, yeah, we talked, we even hinted at this early in the season too. I'd stick the away fans next to the North Stand. Uh, let's get some, let's get some chaos brewing because where they're placed at the moment, for obvious reasons, uh, you, you get them sort of interacting with either sort of family groups or the or the corporate block. Uh, or people that staff that are there and whatnot. Uh, and it's, you kind of just want a little bit more, you know, craziness going on in, in, in the, in the stands. Uh, not, not a particularly inspiring setup to have how much of a difference that makes. And we relate it back to a player like March or whatnot. Maybe I think it's more based on the fact that it, the first thing that was said, which is he's sort of now pushed out of a position. He was starting to get used to, let's not forget start of his career is always coming on for the most part as an impact sub on the wing further up then forced back into a left wing we played him at right wing back at, at certain points now he's trying to learn well how do i then play above a player that really wants to push forward and get up into a high up position now i need to work on some of the interplay there and what do i do when he overlaps do i then cut inside which is what you saw with the heat maps he then goes into the middle of the field doesn't know what to do with himself so I think part of it is less about the mental attitude to the actual situation and more about positional awareness. Yeah, and it, and it doesn't help that he's been asked to play just about every position in his career bar and centre-half as well, right? It, <laughs> There's always time. Uh, yeah. Still uh, time. Well, with the yellow cards, we're starting to crop up. <laughs> we might have to. Um, we are looking at three players being one game away now from a ban. Um, and when does, when does that reset? Is it half-season? <sighs> Yeah, I think so. I can't. I, I wouldn't put my. I wouldn't put my money on it. But yeah, yeah. I think so. <laughs> um, but I know we've got Duffy, Veltman, uh, and possibly Bissouma as well. I mean, well, yeah, Sanchez is serving one, but he was on four anyway. So I yep. will. I will. I'm going to go back. By Lallana. the way, change my Lallana. man of the match to, to Sanchez <laughs> uh, because if he didn't do what he did, we walk away with no points from that game. So yep. I'm 
I'm, I'm and, editing and, it, despite the fact he was absolutely terrible for most of the game. <laughs> and, and also just for the sheer sight of seeing Dunk back in goal. I mean, there's very rarely can you say that about an outfield player, but seeing him back in goal, um, it, you know, every, everyone loves seeing that. Seeing an outfield player in goal is a, is 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 a lovely thing to witness, but not necessarily when it's your team playing. Uh, it's it's fun when it's it's a random team and they've had to put an outfield yeah. player in goal. And I do want to segue on to because Newcastle instead of going for a shot in the ninety second minute and trying to put that in the middle of the box with an outfield player in goal, Shelby skims it over to the far side of the pitch in which they do absolutely nothing with. Yeah. So I. I do want to talk about Newcastle maybe for a couple of minutes, just in terms of obviously Eddie Howe is in the process of taking over and just where they are with five draws, no wins out of 11 games. Um, Just in terms of setting up, coming to the Amex, two banks of four, playing very defensive, making it very hard for us to play our game. Um, There was a clear strategy there and it worked (laughs) to to a degree. But in, in terms of... Adam's infamous motto of, you know, just let Brighton beat themselves. Um, that's exactly what they did. It, yeah, when you look at that team, it's not inspiring, is it? Uh, I know that Eddie Howe's coming in there, and if possibly anyway, because there's still, there's still ifs, ands, and buts with that. But that's not a team that I can see Eddie Howe comfortably keeping up if there's no investment in uh, in January, which I'm sure there will be. Yeah, there's don't um, worry about that. I'm intrigued to see who they go for, honestly. Um because Eddie Howe has not had the most uh what would I say prolific recruitment. Um he's he's signed some real stinkers in his time. So I'd be interested to see who he brings in um for what is a very tough relegation battle down there. Uh I mean we've just seen a couple of managers get the boot um, and and I'm sure there'll be a couple more to come. I mean, Watford are only on their second manager, uh, so you've got <laughs> at least two more there. Um, Ole you know, still at the wheel, still yeah. there. He's like if if there was a nuclear war, that boy is going to be chilling with the cockroaches and Twinkies. <laughs> like he's just, yeah, at, at, he is he is the Premier League cockroach. I don't know how it's survived. Uh, a horribly run club that we discussed. Uh, last week but yeah. uh, i mean i would 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 quit but hasn't quit so i don't know when that fully goes into <laughs> fully goes end of into the effect the yeah so the there, there might be this is alluded on another podcast whether whether there's an element of this this changing of the guard uh from from that standpoint whether or not he has to kind of just stand pat for now and wait uh and and who do they? Who would? Who would they replace him with? Who's who's top tier that's available? Conte just got picked up by Spurs, yep. which I think is a fantastic hire. Um, but it's not. It's not shocking that there's been this mass turnover. It, it, it happens always when when clubs think there's the international week off, so they'll you know they can come in and learn and speak with the players and, and implement something during that ad- additional week. Bit of a shame for Daniel Farker to win a game finally and, and <laughs> then and then be removed. And then Smith at Villa, which I think has upset quite a lot of people as well, but they've been pretty diabolical lately. Yeah, they they haven't been good, have they? I, I know they're saying they're shocked, but I'm surprised they're shocked. Uh, loss, because... loss, loss, loss. Five in and, a row? And the money yeah. that they've spent too, just in terms of you know using the Grealish money and really not making an impact. Um, you saw, like obviously, Barkley leaving as well. Um, but yeah, it's very... 
strange use of the money. Uh, I think I said to you guys, very hasty signings um, as opposed to well thought out. Um, leads to five losses and the, the manager that got them there in the first place sacked. Yeah, it's mental though, isn't it? When you think just five losses is enough to get him binned off. Um, they're not they're not forgiving at Villa. Uh, are you concerned? Um, Brendan Rodgers, I know you said, I'm, I'm not sure if we'd gone live yet or not. You'd said that Brendan Rodgers was, was possibly in line to take the job at Manchester United. Um, definitely could happen. My, my hang-up there is that he would be quite a smart managerial signing and they're not smart. Um, and secondly, he did manage Liverpool and that's always a dodgy one. Uh, not that it matters for Everton signing Rafa, uh, but sometimes that can be a hindrance um, to, to recruiting teams, getting people in. If that happens, any concern about Graham Potter with Villa and Leicester both looking for a new manager, or do you think that they're both going to be looking up? Uh, too many question marks. I think if you're if you're looking at prospective managers, if you bring in Potter, maybe you think about the personnel that you have better at Leicester, and he will do a really good job with them. But I still think as a big club, you you have to look at Potter and say, is he ready for that step up quite yet? I think if he finishes, if, if we finish in the top half of the table, top top 10 or 12, uh, then at the end of the season, Potter is in is in a position to potentially be in conversation with those jobs. You could arguably say on current form, current situation, that it might be half a year or a year too soon for him to, to walk into one of those. Yeah, I completely agree. I think just in terms of what... It's a, a results oriented business, isn't it? In, in terms of what what people are looking for at the top, in terms of are you winning things? Are you consistently winning? Um, you know, obviously we're playing a very nice brand of football, and it's very exciting for us. Obviously, in terms of what we're doing and the infrastructure he's putting in place, um, Potter's not going to have the same reign um, at one of the top tier clubs. Um, so he's not going to have that freedom to implement his ideas and his philosophy in all, I guess, all stages of that club. Um, so I, I'm not concerned, um, especially, you know, we're winless in six. The football's good, but, you know, again, we're coming back to a problem that hasn't been solved yet and hasn't been solved for a year and a half. So that would definitely put clubs off. Yeah, I think I think yeah. the only one that does worry me is Villa. Um, I think they are going to go for a manager that is too good for them, and I don't think they're going to get them. I think they're going to shoot high to start with. Um I'm not sure who, but I think they're going to try and shoot pretty high and find out that they're not interested in taking the job. Um, and I think that that could then lead to a problem for us. Um, and, and the only reason I say it is because with their transfer window, you know, that they won the transfer window trophy almost, right? Like there was a load of people who were just waxing lyrical over this transfer market they had and how amazing it was and how excellent they did with signing all these players. And they did have a pretty decent window um, but the main thing about them is most of the signings are all quite young, and that's Potter's MO. Bailey's 24, Buendia's 24, Ollie Watkins is 25. Uh, there would be an argument, I believe, uh, to Anzabi, to whatever his name is. Uh, there would be an argument, I think, if you're on the board at Villa and you go, look at what he's doing there, we have players that can play the way those Brighton players can. And we have Danny Ings up front and Ollie Watkins up front. 
could he be capable of getting us to the next level? That's my only concern. I don't see it, Josh. I, I, I think there is two... It's not a big enough step up for Potter, and I, I agree with that. So they can want all they they'd like. He's got it good at Brighton, and he should move hypothetically when his stock is as high as it could be, and he has as much leverage as he he's, as he could want. And that's why I say I'm more concerned about him moving, as in when he has a big, uh, big season that puts us out of the relegation battle and we've moved into that slightly different tier and he can look back and say, look what I did. And here, here's where the club are now, right now. Uh, there's, there's, there's that reason. The other piece is I'm not worried about any club that has already fired their manager. Cause that means they've have a plan in place for who they want to bring in. They've already been having conversations for weeks. So with Villa and with Watford, they should know who's on their list. Unless you're Newcastle. Not Watford, Villa and Villa and, um, uh, who just fired them out? Norwich. Norwich. Uh, yeah, unless you're Newcastle, sure. But even <laughs> they had a list that then just didn't work out, right? Uh, They're probably so- running a, an elaborate squid game in Saudi to pick the next one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, so I, I, I'm not worried about that personally. I, I think for me, Pot- the worry is, is Potter going to a, a European footballing side in a year, year and a half, two years. Uh, uh, that one feels yeah. a little bit inevitable and and that's fine by me, I think. I'm not going to have any complaints when it happens. Um, I'll be sad, but I, I, I'm not going to be like, why? Why are you letting that happen? Like That's just the nature of the beast. Um, yeah. I, I have a Leicester fan that's a good friend of mine and he's the same way. I mean, he's just, he's saying the same thing about Manchester United. When you're a Leicester fan, you accept that there's still going to be four or five teams at minimum that are going to be able to take anyone they want off you. And and yeah. we aren't as big as they are. So we're, we're in the same boat. Um, just Rogers with, would be a nice hire for Man U because um, they'd still be able to continue with their consistently crap European performances. And it would be, <laughs> you know, completely standard for Rogers and how he does with Europe. Yeah, it would. Interestingly, <laughs> on the Premier League stuff before we, before we wrap, Brentford... Oh, horrible. What is that? Is that what four a sudden de- drop? Four defeats in a row now? Yep. To, to, to relegation fodder. Yeah. All of them. Like, I, I was saying we are in that bottom six of the form table. They are, they're right in there with us. Them and Villa as well. Um, they had a great start. And, I, I mean, at least we're getting points. I was about to say that that win against them seems all the more important. I mean, or I guess it, in terms of because it looks like everyone else is going to beat them now too. So uh, it, it feels feels good that we at least got points there. Yeah, they've got a big one next with Newcastle. Um, that's going to be a very interesting bellwether for for what their rest of their season looks like. Because if they beat them with the new manager bounce, or at least take a point. Um, I think you can look at them and think they're, they're probably going to squeak it and Newcastle are still in big trouble, which is great. Um, yeah. but. but I mean, back back to Villa, do you reckon they'll have a they'll have someone in before our next game? Obviously, we're playing them next. Lovely new manager bounce. Um, you know, I, I don't know who's in contention for that job or whether they actually have anyone lined up. I imagine they do, considering how hasty that was. But 
are we, are we in for a, a nice little new manager defeat? I, I think they've got it right. I think, like Adam said, like they're firing them right before the international break because they surely have someone on the books that they're looking at getting in. Yeah. Steven Gerrard is odds on favourite uh, at a couple of betting places. Um, eleven to four at Skybet. Paddy Power over at ten to eleven. Steven Gerrard, uh, John Terry is in there. Uh, Ralph Hassenhutl is in there. Um, they seem to be the ones that are on that list. Um, I mean, Hassenhutl was a no, isn't it? Given yeah. Southampton's, I mean, I, I have a, a lot of friends. And I used to live in Southampton for a bit, and I think in terms of the way that they're playing versus their results, they're, they're playing very well at the moment. So I, I can't see that happening. Would be a surprise, wouldn't it? Uh, yeah. But the fact the fact that their list is just like seems all over the place on the betting odds tells you that I I'm, I don't know. Right. I don't no know one no one has a clue. Yeah. Hopefully, it's an attacking manager, so they'll come out and try and attack against us rather than bringing someone who will sit back uh, and do what Newcastle did to us. Because almost it'd be bad for us to have a caretaker manager in charge because they're typically more conservative. And no, I want to play against a team that are going to come out and try and take the game to us. So hopefully, they bring in someone. Not only that, but try and you know prove to their manager that they're worth starting. Yeah, so exactly. Yeah, that. bring it on. Bring in someone with an attacking mindset. Yeah, we have Villa uh, and Leeds next next two games um, before the end of November. Uh, if we fail to win in either of those two games, we are pound for pound performing worse than last season with twelve games on the board. Um, with the games played against those exact same teams. It doesn't feel like that, <laughs> given our place in the table. Um, do you think that, again, this is a long way away still. There's a lot of games to be played before January 1st. There's nine games still to be played. Do Do you think we are going to go into that transfer market in January? Tony Bloom has said that he... He's been on record like four times, I think, at Fan Forum saying he hates winter transfer windows with a passion. Um, but when you look at our start to the season and knowing what could be, um, and you look at our goals for and our goals against, and one of them is top half and one of them is bottom bottom six, do you do you look at them and does do you think he goes out and makes an effort uh, at minimum to bring in a loan, maybe because Danny Welbeck's injury looks bad, uh, like. You know, or, or does, as Mikey said, maybe even recall an Andy Sakiri. Um, do you think? And I know that he has an option. Him and there's another one. Does him and someone else do have only like half season loans with an option to recall? We can't get Matoma, right? He doesn't have the work permit. Um, we can't get who's the chap that we signed right at the end that went out on loan. He can't come back. The forward. Seema. Thank you. Seema, his name has escaped me. He yeah, can't come back. He's a full season. Casado is Casado over at Beer Shop? It's him. Yeah, never mind. He's not striker. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, he's it's him and Zakiri are both able to be recalled in January. Mat- I would, Matoma's who I'd love to see in the team. Uh, that, I think that's what we're missing. There's an argument to be said, even if he's not comfortable with making signings in January, is that you, you came into the end of the transfer window hoping we know there's there's absolutely no doubt they are they were trying to sign an, an attacking player we know that yep. didn't work out okay so we already know that then you lose Welbeck as you say Mope you gave him a chance 
is he going to come good? Well, he started out all right and then hasn't really. So I think in some ways you're more desperate for that player than you were even when you were desperate. So I wouldn't be shocked to see if he does something potentially out of character. I don't know how much it will solve. Uh, and it doesn't also take away from the fact that what we've talked about time and time again is that lots of clubs are looking for those players and lots of clubs are going to be willing to now spend more and, and, and offer more. So we'll see what happens. Darwin Nunes watches back on God. with the Portuguese fans begging us to buy him from them. I just, yeah, I mean, like, I, I don't think any of us are coming across at, at, in the summer when we were talking about it at transfer window time. I don't think any of us are thinking it now. Like, we're not one of those fans, like, none of us are, that are thinking, let's spend £100 million on new players like Villa are every year. Like, I just want to see the investment match the ambition. And it's absolutely abundantly obvious that our ambition is to be a top 10 club. We are building it from the bottom up. We've done a lot of work to do so. I, I don't mind if the short-term club target is to stick around 15th for three or four years and see what this group of young players we've signed does. But don't don't show us otherwise. Then, like I would just say, we brought a bunch of young talent, and this is this is an exciting period of growth. Bullshit. You know what I mean? Like that sort of stuff. I don't need them to come out and go, "Yeah, we're just happy to stay up for four more years." Like you can you can spin it in a way that everyone knows exactly what you're saying, and it's a and it's a fine. It's a, I'm absolutely fine with it, but it doesn't seem to be the case with what the club is saying or, or implying in the past. It certainly seems like we're aiming higher. And I think if we're going to really do that, sooner or later we are going to have to get the checkbook out and pay more than we want to for a player that could make that happen. And if it doesn't happen, there's about I think every single one of the other 19 clubs in the Premier League has spent a lot of money on a striker and it not happened. But they've also spent a lot of money on strikers and it's changed their entire next 10 years so you know why why not at this point we've seen what we can get interesting it'll be i mean yeah we'll, we'll see i mean in terms of notoriously difficult to try and, and and we've seen it with the adaptability of players as well in terms of trossard took a while to come on McAllister, you know those sort of things and i think maybe that's why Bloom is a bit hesitant around the January transfer window where you just throw them into a team that they don't know um, and expect immediate change, which is very rare. So um, you have to be careful with those type of players. I mean, you, you're looking at someone that is experienced when you bring in a January transfer. Um, you don't have a preseason to get them ready. Um, not everyone can be a Kukurea and hit the ground as running as fast as he has. So I think we have to be realistic, but in terms of... Do I think we should? Yes. Um, do I think they'd hit the ground running? Probably not. Give me Jesse Lingard. I'll take Lingard. He's not being used. Ollie's an idiot. Uh, I think he would offer us something nice. As a, I just think we need options. And again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bore people to tears with saying this. I think we need options of players. It doesn't need to be a strike. I just want someone that could put their foot through a ball and shoot. Shall I tell you what I'd take? And this is another one of those ones where like it's... The, it's not a 20-goal-a-season player. I just want a different option, like you said. I'd take Divock Origi in a heartbeat for six months, just to see, just to see what that extra presence would do. He's not great, 
But like he's also one of those players that when he has gone on loan from Liverpool or he starts getting a decent run of games in Europe or whatever, he just starts banging him in. Like and then doesn't get games in the Premier League because he's behind Firmino or now Hotter and stuff like that. I get it. Yeah. But like he's never playing. And when he did go on loan, like two or three years ago, he scored a bunch of goals. And he hasn't really seemed to be in a conversation with any team to go out on loan again. Maybe he's just one of those players that's happy to sit there and collect money, loads of money, uh, and not play. If that's the case, don't bother. But like, I'm, that's that's the level I'm asking for, just to see if that's if that's something that actually works. And if it doesn't, and it looks useless by having a, a bigger presence in there at times, then you know that that's not the answer either, and we need to do whatever we need to do in the summer. If we turn around and like Origi of all players scores eight goals in the second half of the season and looks dangerous and Mope scores four or five off of his knockdowns or second balls, then you're like, all right, well, we're on to something here. If we can get 14 goal involvements from Divock Origi of all people in six months of football, we probably need to go out there and spend a £30 million on another player. Yeah. Yeah. We, we, we don't need... We don't need- we don't need 20 goals. We need five, six goals at the right time. That's yeah, the difference. Just, it's just a different type of player. I think that's that's pretty much the crux of it, isn't it? Just someone that brings something different to the table. Um, just so that there is, I wouldn't say a plan B, but there is another option for us to play um, against teams like this. You know, we you know, we saw us play Liverpool and how well we played, you know, in, in terms of against the team that will attack us. And that's not the problem. The problem is breaking down teams and having another option in order to do that. We, we, uh, we should not be starting a game at home against the side bottom of the league that don't have a manager with Solly March as one of our three most attacking players in the team, in my opinion. Yep. And, I, and I like Solly. It's just no. And a false nine is, is, is rather ineffective against a team with little to no space between their lines. Yeah, I just knew, I just thought it was the wrong play from the beginning. Um, do we have anything else that we'd like to cover before we look ahead to next week, real quick? Uh, I don't. Um, I would like to go on record and say this is my worst FPL week to date, um, and I I want to just accept that and move on. That's all I want to say about that. FPL is tough, you, but you basically have to captain Salah or take a big risk nowadays and see what works out. Uh, it's well, Trent just swung in a really nice free kick, and I don't have him either. Just bad times. <laughs> I do have him. I'm I'm getting I am getting by on the back of my back four this week, which yeah. was uh, Regulon, Trent, and Livramento getting a bunch of points for me. I brought in Smith Rowe for Grealish this week. He got me eight points, and I've captain Salah, who's already got an assist, so um, that will do nicely. I was naive enough to play Sanchez in goal and put Edison on the bench of all people. Uh, <laughs> Homes at Newcastle were beaten 3 0 in a row both times, and I was like, I don't see how Newcastle are going to yeah. score much here. I no, but you can't. Through. You put all your chips, you put all the eggs in the one basket, didn't you? That's the problem right yeah. there. You've got to spread the joy and the failure out. Yeah, <laughs> and it was just pure failure. Um, so, <laughs> uh, all right. Well, next week, um, it's not going to be a live episode uh so mikey owen uh enoch on the door definitely appreciate you tuning in uh it's always fun to have people come in and give their opinions you've 
basically made the podcast like 25 minutes longer because of that. So <laughs> uh, sorry well to everyone about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, next week, we have Uwe Hunemeyer on. Um, I say on as if like, he's not been on yet. We've already talked to him. Uh, it was a fantastic chat. Um, we've already posted it all over socials. And we would highly recommend tuning in um, for the show. Uh, it's a really good one. He talks about just about everything uh, from his entire career. Um, and it's just a bit of a legend. What a man. What a man. Not to big this up too much, but I can't tell you how fantastic a chat it was and how nice of a man he is, just in terms of character. And as you say, we talked about Jurgen Klopp because he was he came through the Dortmund youth system. We talked about celebrations after promotion, uh, some of the relationships and the who he still stays in touch with and friends that he had at the club. Just an awesome, awesome time. Yeah, it's it's great uh, and really eye opening to see how it wasn't just appearances. Um, they that that squad really were together. Like they were absolutely. They love it, and they still keep in touch today, uh, which is great. Just makes it even feel nicer to know that they really were like that off the pitch too. Um, and yeah, there is some so superb conversation about those uh, those promotion parade uh, conversations and that the the, the Wigan post Wigan uh, mayhem. So I think you'll all enjoy it a lot. All right, well, we'll let you go. Uh, and we will see you all in two weeks uh, to review the Villa game, new manager bounce. Uh, I suspect there'll be a lot to talk about uh, in that episode, to be honest. Um, we will have a new Norwich manager. We'll have a new Villa manager. Uh, we'll have a new Newcastle manager, whether it's how or not, because I think that train hasn't quite stopped yet. Uh, there's no breaks on that shit show. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're going to have, who knows, maybe one or two others. Um, uh, pfft, you never weeks. know what. You never know what Watford are going to do. <laughs> his, I, I, I'm going to come out and say as a final bit here. Next, the, 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 our next game is a must-win because I think if you if you look at that form and where we end up, if if we do not win that game, I think you start to see some pretty distinct panic. Yeah, I really do. It's start it's starting to get to that place now. Winless in six, you start getting seven, eight winless games in a row, and the pressure starts mounting. It's increasingly harder to bounce back from that so um it's key these i think not just the next game but also leads vitally as well yeah all right lads thanks a lot uh have a great week off everybody uh my wife is delighted with the international break because that's the time (laughs) when i have to do all the crap things over the next (laughs) yeah yeah Uh, so so, uh we will see you all in two weeks um have a wonderful weekend uh and yeah be safe thanks for listening yeah listen to the uve pod it's awesome yeah that will be out i'm gonna release that next saturday i think just like as if it was match day uh you can sit and enjoy 90 minutes with with who am i chisel perfect thanks guys